<laughs> so, honest, honest question now. Yes. Honesty time. On a scale of one to ten, if I asked you how confident you were about fully understanding who the killer of this movie was, <laughs> what number would you give me? Because I'm like a two. <laughs> I legitimately cannot tell you who the actual killer of this movie. You know was. what? Uh, I think I can say confidently now, after finishing the movie, that I could say with a 9 or a 10 certainty, I know who the killer is. I think you're wrong. I think you're lying to yourself. I don't think so. Um, now, if you had have asked me that 30 seconds before the ending of the movie, I would have been at a 1 or 2. This is one of the most convoluted fucking things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Seriously. What a way to celebrate your birth. And also yours. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And this is a very special birthday episode. Uh, today, we have watched and are about to discuss Happy Birthday to Me, the 1980 slasher movie, I guess, about yeah. a group of high school students uh, at a boarding school in, I don't fucking know, wherever they are. Maine? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they ever tell us the specific location. Yeah. The school is Crawford. Uh, but Crawford yes, Academy. Crawford Academy. Very prestigious, I've heard. Yeah. This is the season of the 1980 movie, it feels For like. For some inexplicable yeah. reason, we've had a fuck ton of movies from specifically the year 1980. Uh, this one, birthday theme, because as we mentioned last week, if you joined us last week for uh, Die Another Day, this is October and both of us are born in October and this week's episode happens to fall kind of like, not exactly in between our two birthdays, but it's in between both of them. So we're going to watch this movie. We're going to celebrate each other's birth by exchanging, doing a little birthday exchange. We're going to gift each other two brand new episodes. So I'm going to give you a movie and you have to find a beer that will match up with that movie. You're going to give me a beer. I have to find a movie that matches up with that beer. That'll be another future episode. Two future episodes will be unveiled right here <laughs> on this birthday episode. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about this movie, Happy Birthday to Me. And uh, to do so, we're going to have to enjoy a uh, vaguely birthday-themed beer. What do uh, we got today? So this is an anniversary beer. It's called Wild Years, and it's from the Merritt Brewing Company in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. They create, actually, a Wild Years, I believe, every year. So the Wild Years beers tend to be a wild fermented beer that is an ale that has a whole bunch of different things and that help them celebrate. They come in giant magnum bottles with wax on the top. So we'll see how we do opening it up. Yeah, it's a large size bottle. We've already had a few <laughs> beers today, so this might be a sloppy episode. Yeah, we, by the end. we are kind of overdue for, I think. Yeah, by the end, we're going to get sloppy, but that's okay. Um, Merritt Brewing Company is awesome. It's this brew pub right downtown Hamilton. Great food, really nice people. Uh, they have a nice patio as well. Uh, most of the beers that I love drinking from them are IPAs and sours, but they do a whole selection of stuff. They have a really cool triple. They also have a table beer that's fucking amazing. Yeah, actually, the very first place I ever had a like standard table beer was here. I think also the very first place I ever had a grisette. So they, they're definitely willing to try different styles um, and making all kinds of awesome stuff. It's a cool spot. If you're ever in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, check it out. Let's try opening these up and see how we do. <laughs> They're wax tip. That's the... Uh, yeah, I guarantee I'm getting this all over myself. I need your opener. Yours is more of a sharp edge. Mine's a little more uh, blunt. Oh, wait. Come on. Come to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad our listeners get to... Oh. Oh, it's bubbling. Here we go. He's got the wax off, everyone. So we open with some very ominous music. 
and the camera panning across a uh, boarding school. This is the aforementioned Crawford Academy. And a girl exits. That is Bernadette. She's walking along when suddenly a strap wraps around her legs. She falls to the ground and we get the snarling sound of Winston, Miss Patterson's bulldog. A little bit of a fake (laughs) out here. Yeah, you think you might get into the action right away, but all you really get is a telling off by a very stern headmistress here. She is the headmistress, Mrs. Patterson is, and it turns out Bernadette is heading to the village to meet up with some of her friends, members of the so-called Top 10. These are some of the cool kids at this boarding academy, we get the impression. Did they ever define how you are a part of the Top 10? No, and the Top 10 is a fairly varied group of people. Like, I get how some of them are there, they're stereotypical, like, 80s uh, movie, like, high school movie villains essentially jocks you know rich kids but a couple of them are like straight up weirdos and i'm kind of confused as to how this group all came together yeah i was starting to get the interpretation or that the top 10 were actually the top richest kids in the school that's very possible yeah that's literally the top 10 like financially yes i think so could be um mrs patterson is against bernadette heading out for the evening and it turns out that she is on the money because as soon as bernadette gets into her car she is immediately strangled to death by someone in the back seat And by immediately, I mean this actually takes like 10 fucking minutes. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so this is a, a, you see these gloved hands come behind. And of course, they're keeping the perpetrator, the killer secret that builds a lot of the suspense in this movie. And the gloves try to reach around the neck of Bernadette and squeeze her, but it takes forever. Bernadette is eventually pulled into the back seat of the car. And then it appears that she dies, but in fact, she was faking it? Yeah, she just pretends to go limp to get the killer to release her, which they do. And then she escapes, makes it out of the car, but for some reason doesn't leave the parking lot. (laughs) She just stands there, like, crying. I mean, run, run! We know very quickly this is a cheesy horror movie because for it to happen, the events in it, people have to make really bad decisions, right? And this is the first of many that are going to happen throughout. Instead of running back up to the building where she is surely to be safe, she runs away three cars over and stands there panicking, yelling for help, help, help. Yeah, she lingers just long enough to get grabbed a second time, escape again, and then see someone she recognizes, who turns out to be the killer, of course, and they slash her throat with a straight razor. This is the first of like 17 different, oh, it's you. In this movie, you know what I mean? Those things? You get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's clear that the person who is murdering everyone is familiar to them. We, we do figure that out rather quickly. We then cut to a bridge going up. It's a lift bridge, you just told me. And a seat at a pub called The Silent Woman, where a uh, bunch of Shriners are singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Now, the rest of the top 10 is there, and they are not amused by the singing. One of them, uh, whose name is Greg is like, these guys are really pissing me off. <laughs> the fucking like, stereotypical <laughs> 80s accent. It's good stuff. You, you immediately get Greg as the dumb jock guy. Oh, 100%. You yeah. figure that out. And he's he can't stand that these old Shriners are singing songs and getting drunk around him. So he's going to start or pick a fight here. Yeah, he tries to fight them when they go to start the song again. Now, the reason they stopped singing in the first place is when one of the 10, Alfred, shows up with his pet rat, George. Alfred is apparently a taxidermist. This rat ends up getting placed in a beer that they offer to one of the Shriners, which uh, does not please the Shriners. They get upset. So the top 10 have to escape, run out of the bar, jump into their vehicles. And from there, they play a little game they play where they try and jump over the bridge as it is like opening or open. Except 
that bridge starts opening before we go into the scene in the bar and the scene in the bar is like five minutes long. So how is the bridge not already at fucking maximum, uh, you know, openness? Now, now it can take a while for some lift bridges to open up uh, and allow boats to go under and they will often put down the crossing signs. They didn't have a crossing bar or beam that prevented vehicles. They just had the lights on. I think now if you went up to a lift bridge, there would be beams that go across, but the lights can go on really early to indicate that it is going to be opening. Well, I guess. Uh, either way, they try and jump this bridge, and due to varying levels of success, uh, Greg in particular has a rough go of it. He smashes up the front end of his, literally a Pontiac Firebird, maybe. But because he made it, he's going to win $20 from Steve, so worth it? <laughs> Not really. Um, now, one of the 10, I think her name is Virginia, is pretty shaken up by this. This is her first time playing Bridge Chicken, and she was not happy with the move that Greg pulled. No, she can't handle that close call, so she runs away into a cemetery. You can't make this stuff up. Just run into a cemetery <laughs> at night. Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. You'll never believe it, but... Uh, she actually does not get murdered there. I mean, apparently it's on her way home. And in fact, she goes to visit the grave of her mother, we find out. Yes. Uh, she lives very close to cemetery, which comes up later. She successfully makes it home where she mouth kisses her father and then argues with him over going to visit her mom's grave. I guess he doesn't want her visiting it or something. Yeah, it's weird. Both the argument about visiting the grave. I mean, it is weird to go there at night. Um, I, I think he should be okay with her visiting it at any point during the day but the way that they greet each other and also the way that he like looks at her and interacts with her is a really creepy old man 20 year old woman vibe oh this scene is incredibly uncomfortable not the least of which uh is because of the acting oh good she's, yeah. she's real bad she is real bad so we've got a lot of bad sort of teen acting i don't think any of the people portraying these characters are teens they're probably oh never that's always yeah. that's always that's standard that's um, boilerplate. no i know but um their acting is horrible it, it made me question the budget immediately and it was purely based on how they were performing yeah she uh she ends up convincing him in the course of this uh performance here that she's doing okay in this new town we gather that she's kind of new to the area and he salutes her and says case closed it's kind of fucking weird uh, it's bedtime, but what Virginia doesn't know is that another one of the top 10, ATN, is in her room watching her undress, and he steals a pair of her granny panties and takes off. No nudity in this whole movie, which was very surprising to me. Yeah, it, there was none. So it was quite violent, but I guess none of the actors or actresses were paid enough to show their body parts. 80s horror without nudity. That's that's a rare bird. Yeah. Um, her underwear is not great. I guess it's the 80s. It does look kind of like silky, for lack of a better term. <laughs> it's got a sheen to it, but somebody it's not has, like... Somebody has hand sewn on like a flower onto yeah, it. Yeah, and like a bird or something. It, <laughs> it was so a weird, weird um, mix of like adult shape and juvenile like color pattern, and yeah. pattern. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who doesn't mind it is the fucking uh, French guy, Etienne. He steals it. The next day in class, Bernadette is randomly missing, but that doesn't seem to, you know, rattle anybody or stop a science demonstration where the professor, after having his hair raised by one of the uh, other top 10, Rudy, activating a uh, fucking uh, generator, demonstrates how electrical current can stimulate living or formerly living tissue. He also teaches Rudy a different kind of lesson by shocking him with a ridiculous electricity <laughs> effect. It's like a cartoon. Someone yeah. like animated a little fucking lightning bolt. They drew a line straight onto the tape of this film. Like it was, oh my God, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it was really like inexpensively done. I guess 
1980, but uh, it, it was pretty funny. Um, they're starting to go somewhere with this electricity stimulating body and uh, sort of responses to electricity. Yeah, so this is where we get the first instance of like the gratuitous plot that becomes this movie because this demonstration causes Virginia to flash back to an experiment that she was apparently a part of where she suffered some sort of injury and scientists like regrew her brain. Yeah, it's really weird. They show a scene of her bald in a large machine that they lay her in and they are using or creating electrical pulses that are going to regrow or help her brain. They say they learn this by studying what happens to salamanders when they regrow their tails. This is the science explanation. And then we get a like very brief but creepy like it's my birthday from Virginia as she like gets up or wakes up in the machine. First of many birthday references, we also then get a scene of her with like a therapist. I guess she had to see a therapist as part of her recovery. And this guy, much like her father, also putting off some kind of creepy old man sexual vibes. Yeah, there's weird ways that they like hold each other and connect. It, it is a really creepy relationship that Virginia has with all of the older men in this movie. Well, and the psychiatrist, the therapist, she calls him David. She uses his first name. They obviously are really close, right? Like he is like a second father to her in this for sure. In that he's a creepy old man perv who's like putting off the uh, overtones that he wants to bang her. I think they also want to look out for her physical safety, but... Why? Always, the always motivations are, are suspect, I think. Always seeing the best in people, Noel. You're a real gentleman. We cut from there to a dirt bike race. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. This is a weird cut. The top 10 are all watching, and uh, we get some sweet point of view shots from the dirt bike, and we find out that Etienne, the Frenchman who stole her underwear earlier, is racing, and he wins. But how could he not when he had his lucky charm with him? Yeah, he pulls out her panties and shows it to her and then invites her to have some alone time with him. Not kind of the move that I think I'd go for if I was trying to date someone. Sneak into their bedroom, steal their underwear while they're changing, and then win a dirt bike race and show it to them the next day. Well, you're not French. That's the explanation for that. It's the standard. That's the standard yeah. move for Frenchmen, I standard think. Standard yeah. French courtship. Yeah, he's got it. Uh, <laughs> she's not impressed by this, though, and uh, so is Alfred. And the next time we see this lazy Frenchman, he's kind of working on his bike when a mysterious figure approaches grabs his scarf they all wear fucking scarves for some reason in this yeah know. they all have their house scarves uh, i guess this was has been a thing right like they all have the same scarf because it represents the school and i think this was pretty common in private schools well, i assumed it was just them they've got they just said like let's all match with scarves no no i think even the headmistress and a lot of the other people were wearing the exact same scarf i don't know man i didn't see that we'll see we'll have to we'll give another second watch maybe i don't know <laughs> either way the mysterious figure takes this scarf sticks it in the spinning dirt bike wheel and then revs the engine so ATN's head gets pulled into the wheel and just ripped to pieces. Oh, shreds his face. This is a pretty good one. That's uh, not that's a good death. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like it. The first one was a little bit cheesy with the choke and the slash. It just felt a little bit drawn out, but I, I like this one. It was quick and uh, kind of creative. Well, and it took forever, too. I would accuse this of padding, but fuck, this movie's almost two hours long. They didn't need to pad anything. This movie needed more editing. <laughs> I'm serious, man. From there, we cut to the bar where we see the gang, minus, of course, Bernadette, who is dead, and ATN, who is also dead. And mysteriously, Alfred isn't there. He was late to the last one, too. Hmm. Yeah, 
what's happening with this creepy taxidermist Alfred kid? Careful there. You're sounding suspicious, which some of the 10 are. But you know who's not is those girls, uh, which causes Rudy, who is kind of like the gang's leader, to say, You know, I think these girls like Alfred. I think they would like to be stuck by Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> little sexual taxidermy humor. <laughs> I don't think those lines have ever been together He's before. a taxidermist, you see. Sexual taxidermy there humor. There you go, yeah. yeah. Uh, after he doesn't show up, two of the girls, including Virginia, go to investigate. And in his like room or whatever, they find a mysterious head-shaped object under like a towel. Now, you'll never believe it, but it turns out this head-shaped object is Bernadette's head or a surprisingly accurate replica of it. Yeah, this is fucked up. <laughs> Apparently, um, uh, in addition to taxidermy, he's also into practical FX. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he says that Bernadette modeled for him, and that's why he has this head. He pulls out the eye, and clearly it's a fake eye and not a real one, so the girls are appeased. Everything's cool. It, it, it's not creepy at all that Bernadette's missing, and Alfred has a fake head of hers on his desk. Yeah, they're just basically like, oh, Alfred. Oh, that's just <laughs> Alfred, yeah. yeah. Classic Alfred. So yeah, so apparently this movie is uh, not going to reveal the killer about halfway through. They're going to hold off a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing as much as they can to throw suspicion on different people, right? They're, they're just pointing out that there's Dude, all kinds of things again, that it could be, I, right? I still don't know who the killer actually was. Is, is it the headmistress? So is it Alfred? Jesus. Who is it? Speaking of the headmistress, she's nice enough to show up and give us a little more backstory on Virginia. She managed to do this while also trying to deflect a little bit from the two missing students. Basically, she ends up giving Virginia, like, detention or something. She says she has to, like, do some kind of, like, service after school. I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah, she's punishing Virginia. I'm not really sure what for. Um, I guess because Virginia can't tell her answers that she wants. But I don't understand. They never show or follow up on that punishment. Maybe it's one of those sort of red herrings where they're like, oh, she's going to get murdered when she goes to do this, right? They're just trying yeah. to set you up for thinking there's an opportunity for Virginia to die. This whole movie is red herrings. That's all it is. After that happens, uh, Virginia makes some plans for the top 10 to go see a movie, except for Rudy, who for some inexplicable reason isn't invited, which does not track at all with what's been going on up until this point. He gets all butthurt about it and storms off. And at this point, I'm like, they're just trying to establish different suspects, right? Like, now we've got a reason why he might be angry and want to get revenge on somebody. Yeah, that's absolutely what's happening here. They, they didn't set up a plot reason why Rudy would be ignored or not included in that, other than, I think, Virginia. They kind of show Virginia finding him a little bit off-putting. Rudy can be pretty forward, and he can be a bit of a dick. So you're sort of like, mm. Well, and yet later, it seems like she's kind of into that, which we'll get into, yeah, I guess, when yeah, we get to that. But goddamn, they're all over the place. Weird, yeah. From there, we cut to everyone's favorite, Jock Gregg. He's doing some bench press in the most tiny shorts you've ever seen in your life yeah these are amazing they are what full-blown nut huggers <laughs> they're what i think about when i picture 80s basketball they're shorter than booty shorts that are worn now i would say and they hide zero package they really do at one point he's on i swear like it slips out while he's bench pressing because <laughs> someone shows up we get it yet another of the oh it's you greg decides to ask him to throw in a couple extra plates on the weights he keeps pushing this a little bit till he kind of reaches his limit. But then, this is fucking hilarious. He, he It's too heavy for him. He can't press it anymore. Yeah, he's got it lifted. He's holding yeah. it straight above his chest and his head. And his <laughs> arms are kind of shaking. And, and the killer the killer pulls the rack away so he can't put it back down. <laughs> and instead of doing what any other person was doing while they would work out, instead of throwing it Just off throw behind, behind you, you. That's all you got to do. He can't. He's trapped. He's got it completely stuck up. He's got no energy left. And so what does this person do? Well, he just holds it up begging for help. Help me, please. Put it back. Please put it back. And while he's begging, 
I can't even get through this, you man. can't even get through it. It's the killer, The killer walks over with a 25-pound plate and just drops it on his t- <laughs> And when they drop it, he drops the weight and the weight, like, breaks his neck because he t- took a direct t- shot with a 25-pound plate. So I'm going to have to clarify because like Cooper couldn't get through this. I give this scene an 11 out of 10. Yeah. This is a, it's a tremendous scene. So Greg is holding God up too much weight. He's bench pressing too much and he oh, just can't fuck. drop it. The killer walks around with this 25 pound plate and we get a very good zoom in on the shorts and Greg's d- Like you can, you can see, see everything. You got the full bulge there. And from about three or four feet, the killer drops the plate onto Greg's d- and it immediately Greg lets go of the bar and it snaps almost, his neck like a twig. Almost yeah. tears his neck off. You get this nice blood spurt from the neck. This is a plus two to enjoyability. What a tremendous rating scene. This scene. Is. It's it, incredible. This might be one of the best like murder scenes I've seen in any horror movie. You said that as we were watching it. You're like best murder scene I've ever seen. It was the perfect mix of d- comedy and, <laughs> and and gruesome jock killing <laughs> yeah we know that we both enjoy uh d- humor because of fdr american badass which yes. if you didn't listen to the episode last season you should check it out it's a good time we keep things in the athletic realm with the next scene because we got a soccer game we go from the best death <laughs> scene i've ever seen to the worst soccer game i've ever seen played there's a game it's very close a bit too close for steve one of the members of the top 10 we gather he has some bets riding on the game Luckily for him, Rudy, who is playing, scores the game-winning goal after some truly atrocious footwork. Now, I don't know soccer, (laughs) but you were like, Jesus Christ, this is awful. They do some zoom-ins on his feet, and his footwork is that of a, like, six-year-old boy. It's awful. It is not impressive. Yet, it works to break through the entire defense, and he scores a goal right before the whistle is blown. So Steve's lucky. He's made out with some cash here. Later on, Rudy, while basking in the glow of victory... Asked Virginia to meet him in the chapel, and on his way there, he sees a scarf that is kind of half buried in a flower bed, and so he fully buries it. This is the point where I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I'm so confused. <laughs> um, so it's clearly one of the school scarves that he buries, the one that they all have. And they're definitely making you think, okay, maybe Rudy's the killer here. And they add to that by moving into a really creepy chapel church scene. Yeah, she actually decides to meet him there. They climb up the bell tower and he's acting super strange. She kind of backs up into the darkness. He pursues her. And the next shot we get is some blood dripping down on the chapel floor. Right then, a kindly old priest finds the blood pulls the rope down for the bell. It's severed with more blood than the rope, and he cries murder. So uh, we gather that Rudy has murdered Virginia. Yeah. Except except we immediately cut to the hospital where Virginia runs in as someone is wheeled by her on a gurney. And I was like, is that Rudy? Again, I don't know what the fuck is going on. This movie is like misdirecting us and directing us in a way that it's impossible to tell what's happening. This is extremely difficult to follow. They are throwing out so many like fake clues or red herrings to who is the murderer that it's absolutely impossible to know what's going on at this point. I wish the cuts were a little clearer and a little cleaner. I mean, maybe that's intentional. They'd go to black and then cut to something that doesn't make sense. Uh, But it definitely kept me in a mood of like, I have no idea. Right here, we get another Virginia flashback where it's one of her many brain operations. Only during it, she's like awake while they're operating on her brain. It's so strange. She snaps back to life and we find her in her therapist's office. The therapist is like... 
That was a long time ago. And she freaks out and is like, no, it was today. It was today. Don't you see? (laughs) So it seems like through these therapy sessions she's having with her psychiatrist, she's increasingly remembering more of the trauma and accident that happened to cause her to need the brain surgery and experimental treatment. And the more that this happens, the more you're led to believe that all of these killings and events are connected to that, right? Like, I even think that at this point, maybe the psychiatrist suspects something's going on with her too. Uh, You would think so, especially because, well, sorry, he offers to take her home first, which is in keeping with the creepy vibes from earlier. But later on, he does hear a news report about the other missing students and about a severed blood-covered rope being found at the school chapel. So you'd think he'd be kind of onto this a little bit because all the people she's named are missing. I think he kind of feels this way because we cut to a scene where the police are talking to the students, including Virginia, and the therapist busts in. Yeah, he grabs Virginia, but just then, a uniformed police officer discreetly tells the detective that he needs to come outside, which prompts some fucking d**khole to be like, hey guys, I think there's something happening outside. (laughs) Just like... That always happens, right? There's always some douchehole who will, when someone's trying to be discreet, just fucking ruin the whole scene by shouting out and causing an an issue. And then, of course, everyone rushes outside to see what the police have found. Maybe the best performance in this movie. I think so. It was was the most believable moment of the entire movie. There's always a guy like that. That's the guy. There's always a guy like that. Yeah, the most believable performance of the entire movie. Damn it. Yeah, man. Uh, It turns out it's just the scarf that Rudy kind of further buried. So the police are pulling up that scarf and then you see the worst digging in the history of shoveling. Yeah, you were really focused in the way this police officer was digging this The up. police officer had no idea how to use a shovel. Like, it was insulting to police. I was like, any human can hold a shovel more, like, effectively than this officer. Well, it's more than this actor is what it is. It's probably well, the, the yeah. actor was like, how do they like, just shovel like a normal person and he was like, what? Yeah, he was really thinking it over like this. <laughs> he couldn't get up his own head. He couldn't get up his own head. The shovel was horrible eventually he goes to his hands and knees and starts using those and he, he unearths something that's kind of covered in dirt what does he find it's a skull yes There's a skull there he finds a skull the, and they hand it to the detective and the detective is sort of looking at this skull and he's like oh this doesn't look good and who barges in well it's the therapist and we get this kind of scene in the middle where virginia is there the therapist has just vanished it's just her And she finds Rudy. Rudy's not dead. He's pretending to be dead. So I guess he's kind of faked his own death as a goof. And then we go outside. The therapist is just magically there at the police. He asks to see it. And it is a fake skull property of Crawford Academy Science Department. Yeah. Or I guess it's a real skull. Just not the one. It's not not like a human's. They make molds of Oh, God. No, they make molds of the human body to create skeletons to learn anatomy. So that's my assumption of what this is. It's a Crawford-like mold of the human body. Um, and so they all kind of laugh it off. They think it's nothing. And this was a joke that Rudy had played. Yeah. He had buried this and the scarf because he thought it would be funny with all of the missing people. He's a rascal. And I think he survives in this movie. Do we ever find out? Is he okay at the end? I don't know. Pray for Rudy, guys. I think he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The therapist, meanwhile, who... I mean, he stars in his own football movie later, right? Is that... Oh, God. Is that the same guy? (laughs) That's funny, though. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) The therapist finds Virginia again and basically tells her that her friends have a very macabre sense of humor. She invites him to her birthday party next week. It's going to be like a dinner. Uh, Later, the top 10, minus Alfred, 
is getting high next to the school swimming pool, which apparently has viewing windows. Like you can look through this and see people swimming. Is this just like, what perv designed this pool? (laughs) Um, I have seen pools that people swim in that have viewing windows into the inside of the pool. I've seen those at like SeaWorld where you can look in and see the dolphins and the whales <laughs> at the zoo. I've never seen one for No, humans. I have seen human pools that do this too. But you're right. It is kind of weird. It's kind of weird, right? Because you you're not used to seeing them. It's and a pervs paradise. <laughs> Seriously. There are no 80s pervs, you tell me. So this is well, just... It, but like this movie was 1980s. The pool was probably built in the 70s. Mm, so plenty of pervs. That's like, oh, that tons yeah. of 70s pervs. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm, my, not, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, lots of people were probably enjoying looking at the lower half of men and women swimming or in the, the pool. top women diving off the diving board their their top slides down a little bit i bet you're all in on that right <laughs> how do i pull you out of this like breast obsessed i didn't say breast <laughs> i i hope i i you know what it would make me really happy if someone has listened to all of these and has got the like trail of you building up a like Nolan breast obsessed the thing like I, I I hope somebody is following the sort of general plot that you're putting out here for our our podcast. Listen, I don't know why you keep mentioning it. I'm just <laughs> just fine. I see it. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! For some reason, Virginia freaks out while this is happening. She runs to the cemetery again at night. Again, what the fuck? And I don't know. Virginia, <laughs> this is not the solution to your problem. It's Stop your go-to place. To your mom's grave. It's her. It's her. It's her go-to place. At night. At night. Alfred is there watching her as she lays flowers down in her mother's grave, and he decides that right now would be the perfect time to make his move. And by that, I mean pull out a flower and ask her to the dance. Timing, dude timing they actually do a pretty good job of building tension with the speed and actions of some of these sort of interactions this whole time albert is wearing leather gloves to look like the killer we've it seen does see, we see the killer in gloves yes. so again they're throwing out some hints that maybe it's him maybe he's gonna pull a knife and hurt her and he pulls out this flower and as he does what happens? Oh, she stabs him right in the gut. And we see that she's wearing the kind of gloves that the killer was wearing in the earlier scenes. So go figure. The girl whose brain was badly damaged and then regrown in the lab is uh, a little bit off. Yeah, she's she's a little bit uh, out of control here. What we're being told in this scene is that all of the murders now have been Virginia. It tracks. It makes sense. Yeah, she, she had this like acquired brain injury. She had this strange like scientific repair on her brain. And because of that, she's had some sort of psychotic breaks. Sure seems like it. Now, her dad has got to go away on business. She's unhappy. She's kind of like, what about my birthday? And he tells her that he'll make it up to her by taking her out in the town dancing. Uh, what I, the yeah. Fuck. I'm starting to see why she's a psychopath because this is a very unhealthy relationship with the father in her. <laughs> so she's sad because dad is not going to be there for her birthday. And, and what we can kind of tell from this is this is not the first time that dad's not been there for her. No, and we get a very clear example of that right? later. And she's pretty upset about this. He's going to miss the birthday. But he does smooth it over with a slow dance. He grabs her by the waist and the hand and does a little dance with her and it completely makes things better. There is one acceptable time for a father to dance with his daughter and that's on her wedding day. That's the only acceptable time. Once your daughter is of a certain age. Yeah. Once An adult daughter, yeah. 
Wedding day. That's it. <laughs> it is a very strange relationship, especially after the open mouth kiss that we saw them share. <laughs> no, it wasn't open mouth. Hang on. There's no evidence of open mouth. Um, but it, it is a weird relationship that they are sharing there. And I mean, clearly she's hurt by him going away. We're going to see how her birthday turns out. Oh, we sure are. Uh, speaking of dancing, we cut to the school dance where Rudy is like, Anyone see Alfred? No? Four down, six to go. And this is the point where I'm like, what the fuck are the police doing? There's like five missing students. Why is everyone being allowed to proceed with like a normal life? Why are the police not just fucking everywhere? Like, this is insane. If you have 10 of the richest students at a school and five of them are now missing, the other five would be in protective custody. You wouldn't be allowed to be at a dance. You wouldn't be hanging out in cemeteries at night. None of this would be happening. You would be protected, especially because it is the 10 richest people at this fucking private school. These are not like people that the government doesn't care about. These are people who pay the like most amount of money towards taxes, right? Like that would have made a difference, 100%. This does not fit with sort of what's happening here. No, now what does fit is Rudy and Steve decide to swap girls. They're just like, <laughs> yeah. this is really weird because Rudy goes to the dance with his girl. Virginia. Virginia. Yep. They and open mouth kiss. They seem very into each yeah. other. And Steve goes to the dance with his girl who I don't know if we ever get her name. Uh, you know what? I don't know the name of half these people. Yeah, she's yeah. kind of the like token blonde in the movie. She's, They're all blonde. Yeah. Well, no, Virginia's not blonde. <laughs> she's brunette. Now, Close. The rest yeah. of them are blonde. Yeah, there's a lot of blonde. Yeah. But, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so the token girlfriend one who is with Steve, they decide to switch and Rudy goes over and dances with her and Steve comes over to Virginia and for some reason Virginia is super gung-ho to take Steve home now as a viewer I'm like well we know she's the killer like the only reason yeah. she's she's happy to take him home is because she wants to bring him back and murder him yeah she offers him a late night snack and it's a romantic shish kebab this is so fucked up <laughs> have you ever had well one have you ever had a romantic evening by a fire Yes. What do you mean? A fire is a super romantic place. Are you shitting me right now? Like a, a fire- fireplace. You've, you've, yes. you've sat down in front of a fireplace yes. with a woman with the intention of yeah, man. having sex with her there. 100%. Wow. Dude, are you kidding me? It's a fire. A fire is very romantic. Was it a real fire? Did you build that fire with wood? And- well, I didn't chop the fucking wood. I'm not, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying you cut the tree down. Dude, but a was fireplace, a- super romantic. Where are you coming from right now? This is ridiculous. <laughs> but the, who has a fireplace in their home? Not the, that many people. Lots of people do. These are the richest people in the world. These are the most rich people. They all have fireplaces. Okay, listen. So it makes sense. The, the part of this have, that's yeah. confusing is not the fireplace. It's the shish kebab. Okay, <laughs> so you're right. And, and to be fair... I find spiced meats can be very erotic. <laughs> so they're hanging but, out by the fire. But I think most people, shish kebab, maybe not. They're hanging out by the fireplace, which is a romantic place. We all agree. And she brings him two shish kebab skewers and several dips. There's like different sauces to dip those in. Even more romantic. Yeah. So the she, dipping is sexual. She has got the phallic shish kebab and yeah. you're just gently prodding the, the sauces. Yeah. Gushy dip. She has said that she's really good at midnight snacks. And it appears that she has midnight snack game. This is extremely romantic. However, it is made somewhat less romantic by the fact that she stabs him through the throat with the shish kebab, which is ironic (laughs) as he probably thought that she'd be the one choking on meat. (laughs) How long had you spent with that one? I wrote that down immediately. You wrote that down immediately. I've been sitting on that for like two hours. (laughs) So... 
They're eating the romantic shish kebab, and it looks like all is well until... She gores him. She puts it right through his brain. Yeah, man. The next day... So there goes Steve. We lost Steve here, right? R.I.P. Steve. Yeah. The next morning, another one of the ten, Anne, comes over to Virginia's house. Virginia kind of throws her the keys. Then after a flashback shower in which we see the accident that got her brain all messed up, which, I mean, by the way... Virginia is a tremendously bad actress, and we see where she gets it from because the actress who plays her mom, my God. <laughs> oh, the actress who plays her mom is so over the top. It's incredible. What we kind of gleam from this is her mom, in an upset kind of drunken state, drives Virginia and herself to that lift bridge, the one we talked about in the chicken game they played earlier. And unfortunately, as they're driving to the lift bridge, it opens and they trap their car in the middle of the lift bridge. Yeah, she's drinking and driving. Like, sorry, drinking while driving. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. She yeah. is straight drinking. Out. She is drunk as fuck and straight drinking out of a flask while driving the car. Yeah, and as you said, she stops the car at just the worst possible time. All you had to do was keep, drive keep straight going. or reverse. Either yeah. would have been good. Stop early. Yeah. She, they try to reverse, but it's, it's very slick. The car too can't late, do too it. Late. The car drops down into the lake, river, whatever the fuck it there's is. A, there's a river below, yes. Water starts filling in their car. It's slow, so it starts coming in at their feet first and moves up. And for some reason, the mother's trapped. She can't get she out of can't her seat. Get out. Virginia does, however, swim to the surface where she then gets hit by a boat. Yeah. So the boat that was like causing the lift bridge to open is traveling under. And as Virginia tr- surfaces from the car, she almost looks like it runs into the like motor of the boat. And you see a little bit of blood pop up. And this is where we have to assume Virginia gets her acquired brain injury. Oh, 100%, yes. So when we cut back to that, apparently she has murdered Anne. Anne's dead body is like in her bathtub and she calls out screaming for help. Enter the therapist who just doesn't believe her for some reason. He, we get this dramatic scene where he's like, come on, you show me. She's upstairs, you show me, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> so, terrible. So this is not the most dramatic scene in the movie. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it is really, really over the top acting here. He drags her by the arm up to that bathtub and shows her that there's nothing in there. She is imagining all of this. She is not the killer. Well... I don't think we can say that definitively. We know that she doesn't know what's going on, and that makes two of us, because I have no fucking clue what's happening right now. This whole thing is weird. Her therapist has an idea about what's happening. He thinks that there's some sort of connection between the trauma she suffered and her friends, and it's the bridge. She gets it immediately. She's like, the bridge, because, uh, like, you know, they're playing that game of bridge chicken. This is how her and her mom died. So, okay, like, uh, that at least we do know. That's one of the things I do know at this point, and there aren't a lot of those. So I'm going to shout out myself right here. I called out that that bridge chicken game was pretty significant pretty early before we got to this part of the movie. But we both talked about how the first murder happened before Vivian played bridge chicken. That's right. So if she's the killer and this is all freaking her out, why was the first murder before they ever went near the bridge? Now, the possible explanation could be that she knows her friends play this game. Whether it's her first time or not, they've probably talked about it, you know? Yeah. But like either way, the timing doesn't really line up. It didn't line up in my mind, right? Because it seemed like most of the murders did happen after she was forced to play it the first time, after Greg ripped 
them over and fucked up his Firebird, right? Yeah, exactly. I am definitely convinced at this point in the movie that Virginia is the killer, and then the bringing her back has had some issue or something that's happened. We're going to talk about this more later because you might be more right than you realize. We'll see. We'll see. Speaking of timing, the next day is her birthday. We're finally at the birthday part of this movie. And also, finally, the cops are fucking doing something. Like, we see them (laughs) driving around. Yeah, we wondered why the cops weren't searching around earlier. It seems like her friend Annie has now gone missing, and this has caused the cops to start searching the woods. Yeah, a detective comes to the house investigating her disappearance, so it seems that Virginia did kill her, right? That makes sense. Uh, She certainly thinks so, but the therapist, for some reason, isn't so sure. And at this point, I'm like, if he isn't the killer, then he is the worst fucking therapist in the world. This is really interesting because they do kind of suggest that maybe he has a role in it. I didn't feel like he was murdering anyone, but I felt like he would be willing to cover up Virginia's murders because she was his prize pupil or prize learning, right? Like as a psychiatrist, there's probably one or two people who have the most fucked up kind of lives and you learn the most by dealing with and trying to investigate and figure out what's happening with See, them. I thought maybe he was using her to cover up his own grisly murders of a bunch of teenagers for the reason that he is a fucking sexual deviant who wants to nail a bunch of teenagers. And, and I didn't feel that. I felt like it was more work motivated for him. I felt like it was his career what he was trying to protect and she was the like pinnacle of his career. Either way, it's flashback time. <laughs> These we are can. always challenging. I found the flashbacks in this movie really hard to navigate. This one in particular, we get a previous birthday. Her mom invited the top 10 to Virginia's top, birthday. Top six. Oh, is that all? Yeah. So mom invites. She wanted the, the tippy top. She wanted the top six. Seven through nine. At her daughter's B-Day. Okay. Here we start getting into the B-Day stuff. We start understanding where, yeah. why this movie is called It's My Birthday. But they don't show up. And neither does Virginia's dad, who is away on business again. So that one stings. It turns out these top six you mentioned were at a different party at Anne's house. And when the mom finds out, she flips out. Yeah, she pours herself a straight vodka drink and chugs it. And then she gets in the car and they head over to Anne's house. Yeah, what we learned in this scene is that I guess she was like poor before. And now as kind of like new money, she's getting just no respect from the other families. And this is where I'm like, they are jamming just a ton of backstory into this last half hour. Yeah, we are getting a lot of motivation. It's not clear why these killings are happening or what's happening, but it is all coming out right now. Yeah, and... Virginia, in the present, snapping back from this fucking flashback, freaks out and runs away. We then see a gloved hand grab a fire poker, and that's going to be all she wrote for the good doctor. This may be the bloodiest of all the murders in the movie. Blood splatter everywhere. Like one fire poker shot to the head. We've just got an absolute fucking gore fest. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, head wounds do cause a lot of bleeding, right? Like you bleed proportionally more from your head than you this do. Covered, dude, this covered the whole wall and door. It's oh, everywhere. It, it was extra for sure. Like it was not an accurate portrayal of a fire poker to the back of the skull, but David's done. He's down. So I guess he's not the killer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's not covering up the killers anymore. Or if he was, this one's not getting covered up. No, it's not. The dad arrives back at the house with gifts. So that's better than the last time. He finds a very blood-soaked wall, as you mentioned, and gives us the best 30 seconds of acting in this movie. Not my baby. Not my baby. Baby! 
<laughs> so I had said earlier that there was a scene that was the best, worst performance of the movie, and it's definitely dad. He kind of like stumbles out of the house and he heads to the cemetery and then he sees the cottage. Well, he sees a lot of stuff before then. He First of all, one of the top 10, one of the bl- anonymous blonde girls you mentioned is just standing there in some kind of shock. And then he also sees the dead psychiatrist and his dead wife's dug up coffin. This is the point where I'm like, holy fuck. As soon as I see the dug up coffin, I'm like, Virginia is recreating her fucking birthday party. Well, I tell you what lends credence to that argument is once the dad spots the cottage, he kind of goes in there and he sees some shadowy figures seated around the table along with a very old looking birthday cake. That birthday cake is like fully rotten. It looks terrible. He kind of investigates one of the bodies. The first one he touches is his dead wife's corpse. You get the maggots crawling out of it. Not a jump scare per se, but like it's gory. I actually yeah. felt like that was well done. I, it probably would have been further decomposed than it was based on the timeline. But I, I enjoyed them bringing out a very decomposed body um, and then having as they pan around the bodies of the other six victims who were there, the six who were supposed to be at that birthday but didn't show up because they were at Annie's party. There you go. So right on cue, Virginia comes out with a brand new cake, singing happy birthday to me, and thank God. I was weird we weren't going to work the title in. We're getting close to the end of this movie, and I was like, oh, my God. But they work it in, and it seems clear at this point his daughter has gone just like full-blown psycho. This is actually a really cool scene. In terms of where we are in this movie, to have this moment in your life where your mother breaks down because she was not from the rich sort of organized group and none of her daughter's school friends show up to her birthday party, to then recreate that birthday party with your mother and father there and the dead body of all those people who scorned you, I thought was like pretty creative. It's gory. You see a little bit of evidence of the death of each one of the people. And you see that birthday, a new birthday cake coming out with Virginia holding it. Except, and this is where, for me, this movie becomes completely illogical and I can't track it anymore. After putting a party hat on her dad's head and blowing the candles. <laughs> so yeah, she, hold, <laughs> that, that moment is amazing. So dad's breaking down and he's like, what the fuck have I done? In shock, in tears. And, and Virginia puts a party hat on him and says, that's better. Yeah, then she fucking slits his throat. But then... And he ruins the cake. His fucking bloody hand falls in the cake, and I'm, <laughs> I'm a little upset about that. Dude, no one's eating that cake. Come on. Uh, First Virgi- of all, Virginia, everyone's dead. Virginia was going to eat her own fucking birthday cake. Well, if she's that crazy, what's going to stop her from eating it with her dad's fucking bloody hand in it? Nothing, that's what. No, you don't want to have like... Bloody a- hand cake? No, I don't, because I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> but her, maybe. <laughs> Psychopaths have cake rules, and it includes bloody hands. I don't know any, so I can't say. All right. Either way. Yes. What happens after the bloody hand? After she slits her dad's throat, she says, now it's your turn, bitch, and pulls back herself. Like, what the (laughs) fuck? It's her. She pulls back her. Apparently, she has a twin sister. No. 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 That's not not right. She keeps saying sister, 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 but it turns out that the Virginia that we think has been murdering everyone is Anne. Because she's been wearing a perfect replica of Virginia's face. And also matching outfits because I guess she had the exact same clothes. Uh, I have to jump in here. Wait, what? I have to jump in here. This movie has you thinking the entire time. They do a good job of creating red herrings and wondering who the killers are and all these things are here. No, this movie is just red herrings. There's no substance. It's just red herrings. (laughs) 
At this very moment, they fucking Scooby-Doo it. Yeah, it turns out Anne's the old man running the spooky amusement park. Exactly. The entire time, <laughs> yeah, the Anne time. is the spooky old man. And now, Anne was Virginia's best friend, I guess, in this story. But what we find out is she's also Virginia's sister. And the reason why Annie's killing everybody is because her family was ruined. Her, yeah, well, allegedly. Her, her, her father mo- slept with uh, Virginia's mother, and who was a whore, Virginia, and produced who Virginia. is also a whore, according to Anne. What? Keep throwing that out there. She calls she calls him and she says, You're a whore like your mother. Yes. Um, and so Virginia's existence is based on her mother having sex with Anne's father, and that ruined Anne's life. Now, why Anne wanted to kill everyone rather than Virginia, who went through way more, is a very interesting well, point. Or, to or me. here's here's an interesting point. Why doesn't she just want to kill Virginia? Why does she kill all her own friends? Well, this is a very interesting question, right? Like, why did she choose to recreate this birthday scene that she probably didn't know about? I know the answer to this question. Why? We're going to get to it in a second. Okay. But before then, Anne is going to kill Virginia. But somehow, and I genuinely don't know how, Virginia gets the knife from Anne and kills her. It's it's like a there's no there's no explanation for how this happens. She takes the momentum of Anne's stab and swings it in a circle and it stabs we Anne don't see that. right in the chest. We don't see that. We do You're, see no, that. No, we don't see that at we all. We absolutely this see is that. Complete bullshit. Now here's the thing. This murder where Virginia successfully kills Anne, who was trying to kill her, happens right when the detective walks downstairs, which is just bad timing, right? I mean, that fucks Virginia. Virginia is innocent in all of this. And Anne has set it up so Virginia is fucked. Anne wins no matter what. Or is it that much like every other murder, Anne being her like half-sister and the affair and Anne being the killer is all just in Virginia's head. And Virginia has been the killer this whole time because she's a goddamn psychopath. No. Bullshit. No. No. Uh, no, Virginia Anne, is the killer. This you, is all in her head. You, she dreams the whole no. Anne thing because it doesn't make sense otherwise. You think she she needed to create a situation where she set up Anne to be the real killer and then killed her in revenge so she did not feel guilty? Yes, I do, and here's why. Because there's no reason for Anne to kill the other people. There's only a reason for Virginia to kill because they didn't come to her party. It's all Virginia. It's Virginia the whole time. This movie is bullshit. It's a horseshit (laughs) movie. And the fact that we don't know who the killer is is because it's a terribly made movie. I do agree that I had a problem with Anne setting this up as the resolution. How would she have known about the scorned birthday, about those six people not being there, and that being the cause of the accident that killed her mom and caused acquired brain injury? I love Virginia. It. You're coming around. It's Virginia. Virginia's the killer this whole time. She's crazy. She I have asked these it. questions. I have asked these questions, but I was kind of convinced by the way that they finished that. But now that you presented, <laughs> why? I don't know. No I don't sense. know why. I don't know why. But now that you presented me with this scenario, I am less than nine nine yeah, out of ten. I was gonna confident. say. Either way, Virginia's going this. to jail. It's Good not going to be a jail that she spends her life in. She's going to be in some kind of mental health ward forever. Um, you think she can claim insanity? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like if this is the murder spree you go on, you have the maybe most likely chance of claiming insanity out of anyone who has committed a murder in the history of murders. It's very possible. You know what? If this episode goes much longer, I'm going to claim insanity. So why don't we just move to our ratings? Because this is it. It's over now. 
Thank God. I'm so confused. I still don't know who the killer was. I don't think we're ever going to know, uh, but let's rate it. This is the point in the in the episode where we rate the movie. We do it on a scale of 1 to 10. We do it twice. 1 to 10 for how bad it is. 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find a movie that is 10 or 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit, Crit 20. 20. 20. 20. Yes. And I will say, for me, this is in play because this movie is 10 out of 10 bad. First of all, what an amateur production. These actors are terrible. The plot makes little to no sense. I, I don't know what's going on for half the time. It is 10 out of 10 bad. What a fucking mess. What do you think? <laughs> okay. The acting is incredibly bad. Yeah. It's fucking awful. There were a couple moments that stood out as particularly horrible. You've said the plot is horrible. It is. It makes no sense. Maybe that's on purpose. I, Maybe just, the confusion is a part of the lure of this movie. If you don't know who the killer is, does that not make you want to watch it more? The movie's over. I've already watched it. I'm never going to know who the killer is because they haven't made it clear because what there's it, no logical reason why any of you will be the you're killer. You're going to watch it again and think about who it could be. And <laughs> I probably am going to watch it again, but I'm not, I'm not happy about that. It's a 10 bad. It's a, <laughs> I was going to say, what the fuck? Like, come on. All right. There's nowhere else I can go with that. It, it is absolutely a 10 bad. I mean, the, the plot is a lot. It goes overboard at the end, but I also kind of enjoy it more because of how fucked up that ending is. I can't wait to hear how enjoyable you have this movie. <laughs> what do you have it as? So I enjoyed many of the murders. Come on. In particular, <laughs> in particular. The weight room murder. The weight room murder. I said that got a plus two for enjoyability oh, just Jesus. for that, right. right? So that's where that is, right? The sound's good. The music and the sound create a lot of good mood and follow in the right way. Like I will, I, I will say some very creepy piano music, like Halloween adjacent uh, piano music. Yeah, you said this was two hours long. I would have had no idea. Yeah, I was engaged and trying to figure out the whole time. What I really like in movies <laughs> is that they're super. <laughs> They make me think afterwards, and this movie gave me more ponder and thought Dude, after yeah. than I can any other movie. I have no idea what's happening. But I'm going to give this movie a nine mm. for enjoyable. Wow, uh, man. Yeah. What we're learning, I think, in my taste is that if your movie makes zero sense, I'm going to enjoy it more. <laughs> <laughs> because it makes me try to figure it out that much harder, and that is really where we went with this movie. You want, you want the stimulation. You want yes, the mental stimulation. Yeah, this yeah. was a stimulating movie, even though it like it was completely fucked up. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend watching it to try to figure out and tell us who the killer is. This is one of your highest scores ever. I can't believe I can't it. Probably it probably doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I drank a lot today, and that might have something to do with the wild years. But uh, yeah, that's where we're heading with this one. Well, I don't have it quite as high. I have it as a seven for enjoyable. Okay, uh, that's fair. I mean, the thing is, like... There's so many better slashers out there, and that I can't really. There, there are scenes that are enjoyable. I will say the weightlifting death scene is fucking great. Yeah, it That's probably would have been scene. a seven for me without that scene. But you know, the plus. Well, two you did say to plus two. Is yeah. that make it a seven? You're right. Uh, I did have a good time watching it. Will I watch it again? The answer is probably because I will. <laughs> I will try and watch it again and just figure out what the fuck is going on. But whatever. You know what? For a mutual birthday episode, we could do a lot worse. How about this wild years? I think it contributed to my rating. 
I was going to say, I'm shit-faced right now. Yeah, me too. 8.7% alcohol. It's 8.7? Yeah. It, God it is. damn it. I didn't want to tell you that before we drank oh, it. Oh, we drank an 8% earlier, 8.7? No wonder I'm fucking shit. It was delicious. I have a real love of wild ales. What is a like a more fruity fermented beverage? It almost reminds me of ciders or other similar beverages. If you really wanted to win my heart, you would find me some delicious wild ales and you would be there, like whoever it is. Just go <laughs> There ahead. you go. Anybody who wants to win Noel's heart, just forget about <laughs> fucking wild ale. Listen, I'm not a huge cider guy. And my first take on this was this tastes like a cider, but the crispness, the like the fruity nature of so it. So refreshing. I would never have lose eight point what did you say? I would never have believed it was 8.7. Although hearing myself talk now and trying to make these sentences, I would believe it. Not bad. Like, you know what? It's a big bottle. It's a big alcohol, ABV. Would I drink it again? Yeah, probably, yeah. I'm looking out for next year's Wild Years. I will be down on that for sure. And if you haven't had beers from Merritt in Hamilton, Ontario... What are you doing? Get Merritt's on a it. cool spot. Yeah. Merritt, if you're in Hamilton, check it out. It's it's one of the jewels of the Hamilton uh, craft beer scene for sure. So uh, that's going to bring us to the end of our review portion. But it is the birthday Ooh. episode. It's time for the birthday exchange. And so oh. right now we are going to create two future episodes because I have a movie for you. You have a beer for me. Why don't we do this? Let's open these up. Let's, Let's see it. what we've got for the future. Can I open first? Absolutely. Please do. All right. I'm excited. So I have got a movie for Noel. He's going to open it up. He has to find a beer that matches it. And we are going to do an episode on this particular movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I am so excited for this. The name of this movie is called Let My Puppets Come. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't I don't know if you figured it out listening to this podcast or not, but I am a huge fan of puppetry. Do you like watching a bunch of puppets f- <laughs> <laughs> What happens in this? Because I hope it does. Yeah, it's an erotic puppet. <laughs> <laughs> where do you even find this? I'll tell you where. The fine folks at Vinegar Syndrome. Is it really? God oh, bless them. Oh my you know goodness. What? I they, love you, Vinegar Syndrome. The, the, the movies they have rescued from the scrap heap oh of history, you got to go to Vinegar Syndrome. Check out what they have to offer because this is a, <laughs> a movie that would have been lost to the oh, sands of time. As soon as I heard about shit. this, I'm like, oh, fuck yes. This is the one. This let is where I got my, the whole idea for the birthday exchange. Let my puppets come. Here, here's, here's your present. All right. Good God help you trying to find a beer that matches up with that fucking movie. <laughs> oh, I'm going to find a j- right, beer for sure. So gonna, oh, Jesus Christ. All right, so I'm finding, I got to find a movie to match this beer. Here we go. All right, so the beer I have, oh, this is from, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. A double two-hearted ale. So two-hearted ale is one of my favorite American beers. This is from Bell's in Michigan. And this is their double IPA version of it. It's actually quite difficult to get, especially in Canada. So I thought, what a way for us to to share a moment together. Well, I think that's going to just about do it for this week, our special birthday episode. And, uh, you know, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, and you as well. Next week, we are going back to the request pool. We've got a request from our first ever Instagram follower, Mickey Double Zeros. He has requested a little movie called Blame It on Rio, in which Michael Caine, who we are very familiar with from Just, goes on a vacation with his uh, best friend. They both have teenage daughters, and apparently Michael Caine tries to, like, fuck his friend's teenage daughter. <laughs> it's Revenge of the Booty Shark. <laughs> the Booty Shark is back. Ah! He's going to be cruising for some uh, 
teenage booty. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've never seen this before, but if Mike recommends this, we're thrilled to do it for him. I'm excited to fucking watch this. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be very appropriate for our podcast. If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the BMB Podcast. Feel free to send any suggestions uh, for either movies or beer there. We love those suggestions. They really do inspire us to sort of come up with our best creative ideas. If you would prefer to email, it's at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, if you want to kick it old school, by all means, jump on. We had a request that way earlier this year, didn't we? Flash Gordon, wasn't that a request? That's from, right. Uh, yeah. There you go. You can do it. We'll, we'll happily take it. Any requests are good. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it B-Day. <laughs> You're invited to the bloodiest party of the year.